The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. This is Gayla McDowell. I'm the Senior Assistant Minister and Executive Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells is the Senior Minister and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the founder. I'm doing a series of shows on social justice and I'm calling it Black Lives Matter, a new thought approach for justice. And the first guest I wanted on this show is somebody who's been fighting for that justice. Uh, for many years, uh, the Reverend <clears throat> Deborah L. Johnson. How you doing there, Reverend Deborah? I'm doing fine. So glad to be with you on the show. Beautiful, beautiful. So uh, before we start talking about you know Black Lives Matters issues and 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 also how they relate to what happens in the New Thought community, can you give people the people a little bit of your background, please? Surely. I am the founder and uh, senior minister of Interlight Ministries in the Santa Cruz area of California. That's a little south of San Francisco, right outside of Silicon Valley on the Monterey Bay. Um, we are an independent New Thought Church, although I did my studying and training and still teach for uh, what's now Centers for Spiritual Living. I was raised in Los Angeles and one of the founders of the Agape International Truth Center with uh, Reverend Michael Bernard Beckwith, whom I grew up with in the L.A. area. Uh, and I have been doing social justice work, you know, literally all of my life, uh, not only as an activist, uh, but as a professional consultant and a diversity trainer. And what an exciting time this is. Yes, yes. So... In the midst of, uh, it's, it's a lot of energy going on in the world right now, uh, mm -hmm. obviously, with the George Floyd, as I'm calling, actually, the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, yeah. There's a lot of, of, of energy being directed to overturn old beliefs, old paradigms, old contexts. As you're working with people to channel this energy uh, to focus this energy this work that you've actually been doing 
for quite some time. How are you interpreting the the current uh, you know energy, and how are you teaching your people to to you know help use this energy to create the paradigm shifts we need to see? Well, we're at an extraordinary moment in time, and nothing happens out of context. Anytime that you have great revolutionary change, it's a convergence of different things that are going on simultaneously at that particular point in time in history. And I don't think we can really understand this moment outside of the context of the COVID pandemic. Because for the past few months, there's been an absolute disruption in our way of life, in our way of being. Even if George Floyd event had never even happened, we can't go back to what it was. Like I keep saying, Humpty Dumpty fell off that wall. Um, We all know that we have to evolve into something new. This time during this pandemic, it's given us a chance to really take a look at what our values are. Um, You can't heal what you don't feel. People have had a chance to do some deep introspective work, and it has shined a, a little spotlight on some of the worst ills, you know, within America. So what I've been telling my people is, why waste a good crisis? Uh, don't worry about trying to get back to the way that things were. We're not trying to get back. This is an evolutionary moment forward. When I look at the people who are protesting in the streets, um, you know, 15 solid days, it really is extraordinary. Um, And and the fact that it is multi-generational, multi-ethnic, across the nation, towns large and small, um, reaching around the globe, sustained for such a long time period, led primarily by the youth, as most social justice you know, movements are, it really makes me hopeful. Once again, you can't heal what you don't feel. Really hopeful that we might start actually getting to some systemic change and not just blowing off some steam, um, but that takes some endurance, you know, for the long haul. So what I've been telling my people is roll up your sleeves, and I'm doing a tremendous amount of teaching about strategies and change. In fact, there's a, a new series I'm starting this afternoon um, that's not too late to get in on about sacred race relations. It's, it's a primer to doing the work. Uh, so this is a this is a good moment, but only if we use it. Beautiful, beautiful. We actually have a caller even before I queued it, Reverend Deborah. So uh, okay. Kwame is on the line. If we could bring her in, please. Kwame, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi, Bev D. Good morning. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> this one. This oh, is one of my. This is one of my practitioners, <laughs> and her husband oh, is one of our colleagues now. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Thank you for calling in. Do, do you have a of call? Course. I mean, a question, excuse me. You know, I've actually just been um, 
I've, I've just been engaged in a whole lot of conversations. My um, my job right now is I uh, work at UC Davis, and I am a director of inclusion and organizational development. And I have to tell you, the conversations, Rev D, when you say that, um, get ready. Oh my goodness, I don't even <laughs> think we have time to get ready. We are in no, it. No, it's and all. I, oh, in the major ways. I think that right now we have. Um, so many people who are open and while I while there is a natural tendency for me to want to self-preserve because this feels like it's also a real special moment for black people in particular I'm also knowing that I got to show up for the movement so my question is is around how do we integrate particularly in secular spaces some of the spiritual principles um, in ways that can be palatable and digestible as it pertains to diversity because I think it's, it's such an important moment right now and people who are doing this work, um, we got the mic, and I don't want to yes. waste it. I don't want to waste it. I want to make sure that I'm showing up, not just intellectually, but that I'm showing up with a depth that has spiritual longevity, and that's what I'm hungry for. So I actually will be signing up for the class this afternoon, but I have a, <laughs> another thing that I have to do. I'm doing a, a, yeah. a racial conversation actually at work, So, I, but I'm still signing mm-hmm. up for it because I want to get the information. So that's my question. Wendy. Um. Come out the closet. Come out the spiritual closet Mm -hmm. that you don't have to be overtly religious. But if you think you can do this work without being spiritual, you are mistaken. You, You can separate church and state, but you can never separate politics and spirituality. Because every every politic is based upon a world view of how things are, how they ought to be, and that's profoundly spiritual. Yeah. If you take, for example, the preamble to the Declaration of Independence of the United States about we hold these truths to be self-evident, you know, blah blah blah, and are endowed by their Creator mm-hmm. with certain right. inalienable rights, it doesn't. It doesn't get any more spiritual than that. <laughs> you know, and, and, and what I would say to you, Kwame, and to, to everybody in your position is stand your ground. Yes. Don't back down. Bring the best that you have and the best that you know to the table. Just get through the gates. And you yes. know, and our spiritual community we use the three, the, the Sufi gates. Sufi gates, that yes. Says, that says all of your words have to pass through here. One, yes. is it true? Two, does it need to be said? To be said, yes. Three, can it be can said it be out said? of love, love and kindness? Kindness. Yes. Can it be said out of love with kindness? And I added a fourth gate, does it need to be said by me? Because sometimes I really shouldn't be the messenger, and there are other times it's on me. Right, Kwame lead. That's what this. That's what this nation is missing right now: leadership. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't already read it, go online and check out George W. Bush's open letter to America on June the second. Oh, I have not even – I'm putting it on my I, radar right now. I read the whole thing in my sermon last Sunday. Yes. 
it is profound. Wow. It is extraordinary. And when I start with George Bush can say this, oh, it's wow. hey, why am I wearing a muzzle? <laughs> right. I am serious. He calls it out. Okay, I have to look at that. I'll have to definitely look, look at that. Look at that, and you pass that around to your folks. Mm-hmm. That's in his words. Wow. And you don't get any more Republican than a Bush. Listen, listen. Right. <laughs> They're like the candies right. to, to the Democrats. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. So, and, you know, and it, it is, it's so important, Rev D, because right now, you know, even, even within my unit, so there's about 500 career staff employees that are underneath us, 1,200 student staff, and then we oversee almost 10,000 students within our programs. Mm-hmm. So I know that my – my responsibility is significant, and I, I just want to be so head on. And I, and I, yeah, and I, I, th- I just think that you're right around just stand up boldly. I'm leading a conversation today, um, yes. and I've just been jotting down some notes of the things that I want to say. And um, I do feel like I've been kind of tempering myself, but I feel like mm-hmm. if I let it all out, Rev D, oh, Lord. <laughs> no, 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 I hear you. No, I, I, oh. I, I hear you. If, if we get in touch with all the anger, Oh. We're gonna blow some people out the water. Oh. Okay. What 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 I what I am saying is channel the Michelle Obama in you. Yeah, I got that. Okay. Yeah. All, all okay. I'm saying is that energetically, don't back down. Got it. I all got right. It. Thank you for calling in. Much appreciated. Thank you. I appreciate, and we appreciate the work that you're doing to help make the world better. Uh, so, Deborah, as you were speaking yeah. about leadership, I thought it was, uh, uh, excuse me, Reverend Deborah, I want to give the appropriate. Uh, we, um, what, when you were talking with your practitioner, it made me think about a statement that the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman used to say all the time. She would say, no organization can rise higher than the consciousness of the leader. And mm-hmm. when you said leadership is missing, it made me think about that statement because it could be organization, it could be family, it could be nation, it could be city, it could be state. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make a difference what it is. No organization mm-hmm. can rise higher than the consciousness of the leader. And in the mm-hmm. context of what's going on right now, how would you flesh out a statement like the one I just quoted from Reverend Coleman? Well, my concern is actually around that, to tell you the truth, is this is a movement that's happening. This is not a protest. It's a movement. But in order for the movement to be effective, it means there's going to have to be systemic and there's going to have to be institutional change. Now, the catalyst at this particular moment is around the criminal justice system. But when you have the highest person position in the land, looking at all of these protests going on for days, who comes out publicly stating that in his opinion, there is no systemic racism in the criminal justice system, that there's racism in society, but somehow it's not in the criminal justice system. So what happens here is that if that's at the top, 
then we're only going to be able to go so far. So it becomes incumbent upon us to not just protest or do things at the grassroots level. We have to insert the leadership that we need at the top, whatever that means. If that means voting, vote. If that means you step into the leadership, then you step into the leadership. If that means being an ally, giving some money, like what, whatever it's going to take to empower, to enable the change to actually happen at the highest level, then it is incumbent upon you to help, take, to help make that happen. Beautiful, beautiful. So in the, you've done a lot of excuse me, work in the New Thought Movement around uh, racial issues. And uh, before we get to the larger religious uh, uh, body, you know, regard, you know, Christian and Muslim and Jew, Judaism and Buddhism and et cetera, I want to talk a little bit about our movement and how it has dealt with issues of race in the past and what we can do to change potentially a paradigm that does not always necessarily support racial harmony while it teaches a theology of oneness. Could you speak a little bit about our movement? Yes. Um, so I had the privilege of serving on the leadership council of the Association of Global New Thought which is the umbrella uh, organization for many of the New Thought um, churches, um, including Centers for Spiritual Living and Unity and the Agape churches, a lot of independent ones like mine. And, you know, we're growing and, and, and hoping to bring under the banner like even more. And we've launched training series. Um, there are a lot of different groups that are launching training series. But what I can say about it is basically this, that as a New Thought movement, we haven't done our work in terms of diversity. Um, and I don't say this as a judgment. I say this as a pure fact that compared to other major religious groups and organizations, whether you're talking about the Catholic or the Baptist or, you know, the, you know, the Lutherans, like other Protestant kinds of groups, um, we don't have the diversity. We are about as white as it comes across the board. And diversity is something that you have to, to prioritize. It's something that you have to work at. And I do have deep concern that if we do not get it together and we do not address this, then give us another 50 years and we're going to be completely irrelevant if we do not look like and reflect the populations that we serve and that we live in. Part of the issue here is what you just said about this question of the oneness. And the fact that we're standing in only half of our theology when we say that. We know that everything comes from the universal whole. 
But as it comes into the world of manifestation and expresses itself, it always expresses itself in variety, mm-hmm. in diversity. In fact, it never repeats itself in doing the exact same thing twice. And we have this strange notion within the New Thought Movement that diversity means difference and that difference means conflict. That if you start noticing differences, then those differences are going to wind up being divisiveness. So that safety is in sameness. And that just really isn't the truth, but there is that underlying belief system that has to be healed. Yes, yes, yes. So, you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I posted uh, on my Facebook page that, you know, the, you know, some people believe that we should have a color blind society, and I disagree. I said, I think we should have a color honoring society. And basically, I was saying, love me when I don't look like you. Color honoring sounds a lot different than color blind. Because when people say, well, I don't see color. I was like, then, then you don't notice variety. You don't, you know, you don't see color. You don't see a red rose versus a pink rose. One is not better than the other. Well, one is clearly red and the other one is pink. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, yeah, it, it, it's one of these things where, and, and I speak of this, you know, quite a bit. It, it's actually one of the biggest problems that we have. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. used to talk about the fact that his biggest challenge was not the ultra-conservatives. His biggest challenge were the complicit, nice, you know, garden-variety-type Christian folk, that they were the real stumbling blocks here. When people say that they are colorblind, what they're really saying is that they're too afraid to racially identify. They're too afraid of the implications of what it means for them to have a racial identity because they don't like where they think that puts them within the social scheme of things. That's the really underlying context. I don't want to see your color because if if I see your race, then I'm going to have to look at mine. And there is an aversion to that, once again, because of all of its implications and their own internalized racism. You only hear that primarily from white people. Let's just call it out. And to even say that is a certain degree of privilege. And it gets me that people are talking about the privilege that they don't have using privilege. Let me give you a quick example. If you were to ask, this is something I do in my diversity trainings. When I asked the room, I said, think about the top five things in your life that really make a difference to you and how you identify yourself. What would those top five things be? You know, people say, whatever, I'm a mother, uh, I'm a teacher, uh, you know, I'm this, I'm that, you know, all these different things. So, and then I asked them, How many of you said able-bodied? 
very few people will raise their hands. That's not necessarily saying that everybody in the room is able-bodied, but, you know, you get you get my point here. I say, yes. You know, how many of you said able-bodied? And nobody raises their hand. So I say, and just how much does your height, your weight, your dexterity, uh, the fact that you can walk, see, hear, how important is that to your life? How, how, what percentage of your life revolves around that? And they say, like, all of it. I say, then why don't you, why don't you notice that? Why don't you say you're able-bodied? They say, because I don't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. I say, well, why don't you have to think about it? I said, you don't have to think about it because everything in society is made for you. When you have a broken arm or, or you're on crutches, life looks a whole lot different. And that's the same thing that we have with the infrastructures in our society, that everything is made so that it, pre- it presents no barriers to white people. So they don't have to see it. But when you are slightly different in some kind of way, oh, it becomes really, really plain. But if you yes. don't see the barriers... If, if you don't understand that you're able-bodied and everybody isn't, then you're not going to put up the wheelchair ramp. Right. Then you're not going to put the closed caption. You know, mm-hmm. You're not going to do the things that you need to do to make sure that it's accessible because you're blind and it becomes a blind spot. Yes, yes. It, it it does make a difference. We only got a couple of minutes before the break. And what you're saying just made me think about uh, many years ago when I was probably about 21, I was um, taking my uh, older brother. He wanted to stay at a hotel in Chicago. He lives in the uh, northwest suburbs of Chicago. He had a girlfriend he was dating. It was a white woman. And uh, he, uh, when we went to the hotel, the, the man the, the at the registration desk didn't want to give him a hotel. Talking about he didn't have any rooms. The parking lot was almost empty. <laughs> to make a long story short, some guy <laughs> jumps up and he wants to, you know, create a fuss. And I, I'm like, okay, this is the okie doke. I grab my brother. Let's go. Next thing you know, this guy's cursing us out from two, three hundred feet, and eight police cars pull up. And uh, mm-hmm. this guy runs up, pulls a badge out, pulls his gun out on my brother, and said, "You're under arrest." And what, and, I, and I said, why is he under arrest? And he put the gun on my nose. And he said, shut up or you're going with him. And they falsified a police report, said that he was swinging his arms wildly from 300 feet. <laughs> the, the officers that showed up wrote it up as if he, my brother actually did it. And we had to go to court five times to get those charges dropped because we mm. had witnesses. You know, I was there. Obviously, my brother was there. His girlfriend was there. My girlfriend was there. It was a situation that if, if we weren't all squeaky clean, and not to mention we had, uh, you know, uh, we could show that the, the reports were falsified, and I'm sure the hotel had cameras. My brother would have went to jail, and I possibly would have got shot in the face. So we got to mm-hmm. go to our break, but I just wanted to bring that story up because it's so relevant. Uh, listeners, we'll be right back with Truth Transforms.
We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Truth Transforms with your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. Before we go back to our conversation on Black Lives Matter, I want to make sure that I give you a little bit of information about Christ Universal Temple. Uh, You can get more information by going to www.cutemple.org, cu, the word temple.org. You can watch our live stream. Uh, 10.30 a.m. until 12 p.m. Central Time on the uh, at our website. You can also watch our Sunday live stream via YouTube at CU Temple and on our Facebook page, which is Christ Universal Temple. You can also plug in to us for our noonday lessons, Central Time, noonday daily inspiration lessons. I do them normally uh, three times a week. Our COO, Gavin, he does them twice a week. You can, again, go to Christ Universal Temple, Daily Inspiration Lesson on our Facebook page, Christ Universal Temple. Uh, Besides this show, uh, our senior minister, the Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells, has a Facebook page um, uh, on on his personal Facebook page. He has a show called Temple Talks where he answers your questions about better living, new thought and subjects concerning anything in life that, you know, needs a spiritual approach. And we also have a consciousness building call on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Central Time. You can go to our Facebook page or our website to get more information about the consciousness building call. So we're doing the work to make sure that we're keeping this truth in front of people so they can transform their lives. If you want to call into this show and ask Reverend Deborah Johnson a question, you can call in at 816-251-3555, 816-251-3555. Last thing for me is this show has a Facebook page, which is Reverend Galen McDowell, uh, excuse me, Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. And I'm requesting that you like the page and give it a positive review, five stars. And if you listen to this show on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, whatever the version of podcast you listen to, make sure that you please give it a five-star rating and write a positive review. It helps with the algorithms. So, um, uh, Reverend Deborah, we left off on my story of police harassment. And I didn't know if you wanted to pick up anything from that statement before we move into anything else. Uh, yes. I do. And and one thing I do want to say is I want to give a shout out to gratitude to the Universal Foundation for Better Living, which is uh, one of the denominations in the New Thought Movement, predominantly African-American, started by the renowned Reverend Johnny Coleman, um, whom you studied under. Yes. And that there, you know, it's 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 a it's a shining city on the hill <laughs> in the in the new thought movement in bringing the so much of the diversity. If it pulled you out of the mix, it'd be a whole different story. Um, so you know, much much gratitude for you for that. Yeah, I, I was pleased that you told the story because there is this notion sometimes 
that those are things that only happen to certain black people if they happen at all. But it happens to all of us, absolutely all of us. And I feel as though we need to tell our stories more. I mean, I have stories of the encounters that I have had with law enforcement or the way that you get followed in a grocery store. I mean, you know, all of the, we, 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 we refer to them in the diversity field as microaggressions. You know, all of these things that we are subjected to as literally a part of our daily living. And mm-hmm. what I know is that is that it's easy to dismiss when you feel like all of that is happening to other people but I think if they real if more people realize that this stuff is happening to your coworker, to the person next door, you know, to the ones that that your kids are are playing with the soccer with at school, um, that it actually might bring a little bit more enlightenment, so that we realize that these kinds of things that we've been seeing on the news now are not the exceptions; they're just caught on camera. Right. <laughs> They're just count on camera. Like you said, you know, you could have been an accident at 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 any moment. And, you know, I would like for you to just finish telling the story about how long it took to get all that cleared up. Well, it took over a year, uh, a good almost year and a half. So, you know, I, now this is what was crazy about it, Reverend Deborah. We, he was in. T- he was. He drove into Chicago um, because it was our grandmother's funeral. Our, our father's mother had passed away at, at a very young age, and the funeral was at night, and the burial was in the morning. So he was going to stay with me, and he said, "You know, I, I just wanted to just decompress, get a hotel room." So I took him to this suburb outside of Chicago. And we get into the hotel, as I stated before, the, the, um, because he was with, he was dating a white woman. He goes in to the hotel. The person at the registration desk, the man didn't want to serve him. So we leave. Uh, once the argument ensues, because my brother is saying, there's no cars in the parking lot, basically. I know their rooms. This is a racial issue. Some guy jumps up, starts cursing at us, wanting to start something with us. I'm seeing the okie doke. I'm saying, like, okay, let's just pull him, pull my brother out. And again, as I stated before, he's at the, he's at the door. We're parked a little, maybe about 300 to 400 feet away from him. And next thing you know, eight police cars pull up and we're like, oh my God, this guy pulls out a badge, pulls out his gun. He walks up to the car, grabs my brother. You're under arrest. And I walk, and I'm like, Why, what is he under arrest for? Why is he being arrested? And the guy turned around, and he put the gun right on my nose. And and he said, you shut up, or you're going with him. And, you know, so if I say the wrong thing, if I move the wrong thing, he's shooting that gun. It, without a shot, I, I still know that. And that was uh, almost uh, 93 to 2020, so 20, 27 years. So I think it was important for us to understand, first of all, now I got to get my brother out of jail so he can go to his grandmother's funeral because he doesn't get that moment back. So I had to plead with, it was at this suburb police station. They do everything there, the judge, the everything. 
I'm pleading with a black woman at the at the at the desk of the police station that my brother has to get out because he's going to miss his grandmother's funeral. And this is a complete misunderstanding. And hours of pleading allowed him to get out, you know, to be able to be at the funeral. I mean, at the cemetery, rather. And we just kept going back to court. This is what's funny about the legal system. The, when we got the police report, uh, it said that my brother was swinging his arms at him wildly. Now, we're three to four hundred feet away from him. And so and we're getting in our cars to leave. <laughs> and uh, when we showed up in court, it showed that the police officers that showed up who didn't see anything, weren't in the hotel when all of this happened, they verified the report. And when the when we show kept showing up at court, what ended up happening was the police officers who were the supposed witnesses, they wouldn't show up. They would say, oh, we on the case. We got this. We got that going on. And what would end up happening is we would have to keep taking off work to show back up because the one time I didn't show up or another witness didn't show up or my brother didn't show up. You know what they were going to do? Warrant for his arrest. He didn't show up for court, but they kept inconveniencing us by actually not putting the officers, having everybody that was there that needed to be there. So they just kept asking for the asking the judge for another date. Eventually, we just kept showing up. And I know that they investigated us um, without a shadow of a doubt to see if we were squeaky clean or not. And once they realized that, you know, we had my brother had three witnesses. And we all are saying the same thing. A year and a half after the event. The state's attorney dropped the case. But yet again, it was a lot of grace in that space because mm -hmm. the if my brother didn't show up, he would have been arrested. He would have lost his job. He, he was a young operator. Uh, he drives the machines that move the earth uh, so we can have buildings and clean out the space or whatever. And he would have lost his job, He would, which is a hard job to get in, in being black, by the way. You rarely see black operators. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he would have lost his job. Of, of course, he would have lost everything because he would have been in a situation to where um, he could have went to jail for years because that's assaulting a police officer. And yeah, well, I, that's I'm with you. Yeah. So, so it you took, know, five, it took a year. five times right. to court. <laughs> right. 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 Five times to court. You know, yeah. I, I hope that, you know, the listening audience is really getting some sensitivity this great moment where we're protesting all over the place that 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 there is that there's a fear that African Americans have of living of of their children living of the smallest traffic violation or whatnot turning into something you know, absolutely horrific. And the only thing that gets me through, I'm telling you now, the only thing that gets me through is my spirituality. The only thing that keeps me grounded is that I know that my God is bigger than all of this, mm -hmm. that I have spiritual tools that I can use, the wisdom of my ancestors who knew 
that they were more than the stuff that was going on. But you have to treat and move your feet. You, you, you have to do both. That mm-hmm. yes, we do the work. We do the work in consciousness, but as it says in the Bible, faith without works is dead. That you pray about it, but you give a hand up. You know, not merely a hand out. And I think this is a moment now for everybody to step it up a couple of notches that if we really believe that black lives matter, then let them matter. Let them matter. Then do something. You know, I don't care if it's just your church, adopt a family. You know, do something, anything. Sponsor something. <laughs> you know, collaborate. You know, joint, joint venture. Um, sell some tickets. <laughs> you know, for an event, buy a table at a banquet, you know, help underwrite some scholarships or summer camp or it, it, it help with a food bank. You know, it's like do something that is affirmative and really shows that people's lives matter. And in doing so, in the engagement, you get stronger. You get blessed by the exchange. Um, the more upfront and personal it is, the more healing that it becomes. So if we could move out of our safe silos and these sterile environments where we just look at the news and you know, you know, turn our heads, oh, well, you know, that's too bad, you know, over there. But we're one family. And if we really are this oneness, then let's act like it. If this was happening to, in your family, to your family members, how would you feel? Would you be doing anything different if this was your brother, your son, your father, your nephew, you know, your, your uh, uh, auntie, you know, your mama? And if the answer is yes, then act like that. Act yes, like yes. That. You know, it's, it's, it, it, as you're talking, it made me think about a statement, and I think I mentioned this to Harvey Bishop last week, when the Laquan McDonald situation happened where he was shot, 16 shots, you know, I was a part of the religious leaders that was protesting downtown. And I can remember telling a friend of mine before the protest that, you know, I've worked to develop my consciousness to the space to where I believe that a thousand can fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but it should not come near me. I said, but the problem with what I have to do is this. You shouldn't have to be a mystic to get justice. You know, so what, you know, I'm praying and holding a a high level of spiritual consciousness to make sure that no matter what happens, you know, whatever's touching somebody else won't touch me. But the problem is there are people who don't have to do that level of prayer work and consciousness development work and consciousness transformation work to just be. Mm hmm. 
And, and, and see, that, that's the real conversation. Mm-hmm. Do I have to be a mystic just to mm-hmm. get justice? You know, yeah. and I, I think sh- that's a real conversation. Well, you shouldn't have to be. You know, um, in Scripture, in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Jesus says to seek first the kingdom of God and all of its righteousness, and all things will be added. Just to make it your highest priority. If you were to do a linguistic literal translation, the kingdom of God would be like heaven on earth. It, it, it would be the place where the highest spiritual values and principles would be expressed in the material realm. This kingdom of God, not that God owns it, but the kingdom that would have all of the qualities of God. And the, the kingdom is the society that provides for everybody. And that word righteousness, I really wish that the King James Version hadn't chosen that word because the word is actually justice. Right. To seek first the, a world that works for everybody and the justice that comes along with it, and then all the material things will be added. And we kind of have it backwards. We, we chase after all the material things first, and maybe kind of sort of if we have some time, we'll worry about the justice. But without it, it's not going to work. It's kind of like COVID, the pandemic that we're in. You know, we've had all of this conversation about health care. Well, health should be a human right. And if just being healthy is a human right, then health care has to come with it. And why in the world you wouldn't want that, I don't know. Because you can't divide up the air. Wouldn't you want everybody on the streets that's breathing the air that you're breathing to be healthy? Wouldn't you want the people who are washing your clothes and washing your dishes and watching after your kids and cooking the food, like, wouldn't you want them healthy? Right. And we we have this kind of strange thing, like, like somehow or another, I'm okay if everybody else is not. But there is no safety in that until you literally want for everybody what you want for yourself. You can't live in safety and security. Right, right. You're going to you know, always be one. You're going you're to have to live behind a, a gate <laughs> and, and fences, and you won't be free. Try right, to protect right. yourself. Right, right. You know, it's kind of funny. Um, I just uh, bought a book I'm giving to a friend tomorrow, actually, uh, that talks about Jesus from the context of justice, put Jesus back in his original context, his original culture, what was going on mm-hmm. in his world, a book by Marcus Borg called Jesus, oh, yeah, a life okay. teachings and relevance of a religious revolutionary for anybody mm-hmm. that's listening to the show. If you want to understand Jesus in the context of justice, 
that's a great book to read. Jesus, the life teachings and relevance of a religious revolutionary, because when you put Jesus back in his original setting, you have a religious revolutionary. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, he's so, subversive. right. I, you know, if you want to speak <laughs> you, to that a little bit, please do. Please do. Say it again. I said, yes, if you understand what he was doing within the context of what he was doing and the, the, the traditions, it's really extraordinary. Yes, yes, yes. By the way, I want to make sure that people have an opportunity to know about your work. So if they want to, because you have books that are yes. really good. And please let people know what they are and how they can get those books, please. Sure. So... I get these prophetic messages, and they come in the form of letters. Um, I get them, and then I transcribe them. Um, and there's a series called Letters from the Infinite. It's volume one is the sacred yes. Volume two is your deepest intent, put out by Sounds True. And you can get them anywhere that you get books um, online. Um, I also am a professional cultural diversity trainer and teacher. There are many things that are coming up actually later on today at 3 o'clock uh, Pacific time, um, this Wednesday, June the 10th, and next Wednesday, June the 17th, I'm doing a primer on effective strategies, and it's from the um, – Sacred Race Relations series that I'm starting now as part of my spirituality in action. So we're going to be doing some hands-on interactive training about how do we do these things. Um, there's also a program that I'm doing on uh, June the 27th at 2 p.m. Pacific time. All of these are um, on Zoom. It's called Pulled by Vision. It's another interactive where we're going to learn how to articulate what it is that we stand for, not just what we stand against by using visioning processes. Um, you can follow me on Facebook, Reverend Deborah L. Johnson, or you can follow me um, on my website, ReverendDeborahJohnson.org. My ministry is Interlight Ministries, and uh, I look forward to hearing from you. Beautiful, beautiful. So we have about three minutes left. I want to give you the opportunity at the floor to say what you want to say to wrap up this conversation. I would say pain pushes until vision pulls. That let vision pull you now. This is not a test. This is not a drill that everything that you have ever learned has to be put to bear at this particular moment, particularly these next six months as we move into the election time. Speak up, stand up, go deep, and stay connected to source. Keep hope, heart open, Possibility, consciousness, engagement. Keep hope alive. Beautiful, beautiful. We have a couple of minutes left, so I'm just going to piggyback on what you just stated 
I believe that this message that we have, this new thought message, is a message when properly applied can help transform human consciousness. And we do it, first of all, by making sure that we work on ourselves. You know, I've stated on this show before that I think New Thought 1.0 is if the block is dirty, I just need to go out and clean up in front of my house and not worry about anybody else's house. I think that version of New Thought needs to go away. The New Thought 2.0 is I still go out and clean up in front of my house and then I go and help my neighbors. We're in this together. We're in this together. You know, I know that New Thought focuses on the individual. It focuses on the individual consciousness. It focuses on our individual experience. But nobody on this planet has a true individual experience. This is a matrix of consciousness, of energy, of laws. And when we are working together and realize we're working together, we realize that we're co-creating together. So let's be mindful of not just what we're creating for our individual experience, but let's be mindful of what we're creating for the collective experience, as Emmy Fox would call the mental equivalent. That's not just for individuals. It's also for families, communities, nations, and the human race. So let's be mindful of what we're co-creating because it makes a difference. What you add to it, to the collective human consciousness, matters. So, um, Reverend Deborah, I really appreciate you coming on today. Um, we only Thank have a you. few seconds. Um, you know, you're always welcome to come back. If you have anything you want to promote and do or whatever, just give me a call, get, shoot me a text, and we're on it because I believe in the work you're doing. I believe Spirit is working with, through you in a mighty way. And I honor the individual that you are and your work. So, Likewise, my brother. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, we're going to do this work going forward. We're going to continue having these conversations. I'm going to have uh, Reverend McKeithen, uh, Reverend Sheila McKeithen, and Reverend Celeste Frazier next week, probably another guest with them. We're going to do this work. God bless you, listeners, and I'll be with you next week with Truth Transforms. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.